This is The Business Machine, where we talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines. We know that they, as high-energy, non-stop, inspirational leaders, are behind their well-oiled machines. We will get their tips and tools and also listen to their mistakes and how they overcame them. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines and create a great team so that our machines will eventually run themselves. So get ready. Up next, The Business Machine is firing up. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Business Machine. I'm super excited to introduce Todd Uderstedt, who is the president and founder of Founder to, founder to CEO. So, Todd, thanks for coming on. Brian, it's a pleasure. I love what you're doing, and I'm happy to be here. Cool. So, fill us in a little bit, and I didn't do it the best job at introducing who you were, but that's your job. You're supposed to be able to do that better <laughs> than right. anybody else, and somebody comes up to you at a networking party or a just in the grocery store and they say, Hey, what do you do? What would you tell them? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a former army officer turned corporate VP turned entrepreneur turned founder and now president of from founder to CEO. We've got this new platform where it's just solely focused on helping founders enhance their capacity to be a better leader as they move into that all important role of CEO. And we do that through our current podcast from founder to CEO and we also do that with some programs and coaching uh, programs that, that we provide to our clients. So it's a lot of fun. I love working with founders, particularly those who are you know struggling with some of the leadership issues that I've been fortunate to kind of pick up along the way. So tell me a little bit, and I you know I kind of get it, but when I saw a founder to CEO, I was still like, well, what's the difference? Do you get asked that question a lot? You know, you're the first one. Really? So, <laughs> so what is the difference between a founder and a CEO? For those of people who are listening that are pretty much are new to the entrepreneurship world or really don't know the difference between somebody that starts the company and somebody who leads the company. And why would you ever have to change somebody from those roles? Yeah, well, I'm so glad you asked that because um, when we were trying to find a name for our platform, initially I was going to go with real-time leadership for entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. but everyone told me that was a sucky name. So we decided (laughs) decided not to use it. Good feedback, good feedback. Yeah, it was great feedback. Yeah, so, you know, I was talking with someone else and, and I read this blog um, from a while, from a couple of years ago about the former CEO of Contour. And he was just really talking about how he struggled from leaving behind the founder responsibilities and moving into the CEO responsibilities. Okay. And so that kind of got me curious and I started doing some more research and a lot of founders really talk about that moment in time. And I will tell you that I think that it may not always be a moment in time. It may be a gradual process, but it's that all the work before you have traction and you're sustainable, or at least you have the capacity for sustainability, and then all the work after. And all that work after is all the hard work, right? Yeah. So everyone loves to be a founder, sure, create, it's, it's right? It's like a startup. It's like when you know, I think yeah. we ran into that too, is like here we are four years into the company and we're starting to get out of that startup mode and entrepreneurism, and I don't want to. Because that's not fun, you know. <laughs> Being a startup is fun, is exciting. You can screw up and no one really cares because they're new and they're a startup. But yeah, I like that too because there is two distinct separate roles from a founder and a CEO. Is that, am I right on that? Oh, uh, you're absolutely right. And I can't, t- I mean, you know, I've, I'm up over, over 75 founder and CEOs I've interviewed on my podcast, oh. and they all talk about that shift 
it's a mindset shift. It's a behavioral shift. It's a time shift. There's a lot of shifts that occur when you leave some of the, the initial founder roles. I mean, when you're a founder, one of the big issues is you know, how, are we gonna, how are we going to keep this entity going? There's usually fundraising or credit card using or loans or whatever the case may be, right? Check. Um, but once you're starting to get money from a customer, game changer. Yeah, game changer, right? Um, now, a lot of founders stay in, you know, consume money from other sources rather than customers for a long time. And they don't necessarily have to confront some of the basics of being a CEO. So that's kind of what we, how we look at it. So give me two character traits or characteristics. If I was to you know, really look at somebody and I would be able to say, oh, they're a founder. You know, what is that? What are the differences between the two? And not, not all the differences, but give us one <laughs> that you could really, because there's so many, I imagine. Yeah. What, what is one? Like what would a founder do versus in that same capacity that a CEO might not do and vice versa? Well, first of all, a founder is doing a lot of things themselves, yep. right? So uh, the, the common one, obviously, is they're always making sure the organization has enough cash. Yep. They're usually involved in sales. They're frequently involved in product development or experience development or service development. They just have their hands into a lot of things because usually the organization is smaller and there could be a team of 10 people. And when you're in that role as a founder... It's really about leading a team rather than leading an organization. Yeah. It's, it's like project management, you know, and it's there. The skills are not necessarily as complex, but as soon as you start going north, I say of around 10 people, all of a sudden, you know, you have someone who may need to report to another person. And all of a sudden you have to, as the CEO, hold one of your direct reports accountable for the work that's getting done through other people. Yeah. It's that through other people piece, Brian, that I think is often when the shift starts to occur. Yeah, to be able to trust people that are behind you or with you in your organization to do things like you would do it. And I think one of the things that's really hard, I, I imagine, I know it was hard for us too, is to really get out of that mode of, of founder. And, and I think when people start I know when we started uh, a small business, we always thought, well, we're going to do things differently than big business, and we're going to do things differently because we're, we're new and we're fresh, and this is 2012, and, and <laughs> here we go. And somebody told me, said, no, you know, that's fine. I, I think you can still have that culture, but you still have to do, you know, normal set in stone business tactics that have worked and leadership tactics that have worked for, you know, 50 years. And is that a hard transition to take a founder to that CEO level? Is that a hard piece for them? Well, it is. And, and let me just give you a comparison. Take any one of the large companies you just referred to and look at how much money and time they spend yep. in developing their senior leaders. And so we expect as founders that we can leap the development of ourselves as a leader from leading a small team to sometimes getting up to, you know, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars when things start, start rocking and rolling. So, you know, when you take a look at the expenditures of time and resources to develop someone and develop the skills, it's a huge amount of time and money. You don't, you don't just presto magical one day and wake up and say, oh, gee, you know, how do I motivate someone who's on my team and they have about 100 people reporting to them and they're not being a very good executive? Well, how do I do that if I don't even know what an executive right. looks like? I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to try this and see if it works. I don't <laughs> right, I, right. I, and I imagine my dad was a, a long army veteran, 32 years, uh, West Point grad colonel. He taught me the aspects of how important leadership was in the military. So I imagine some of your background is I think it's a real good example of the military um, 
obviously believes in the leadership and training those at, at higher levels to be responsible for groups of, of men. I think that has to have some impact on how you do things. Well, I feel fortunate because I have this leadership experience of the, of a triad of military leadership experience, right. corporate leadership experience, and entrepreneurial leadership experience that I that I love to tap into and, and, and help others with, particularly founders. I'm, I'm very passionate about that young man or that young woman around the world who takes a risk and wants to build something and all that energy, all that time, all those resources and helping them be able to create sustainability. I have personally seen as an army officer around the world that when you can help more people do that, you contribute to peace and prosperity in that region. Yeah. And just imagine all the, you know, if you're touching one life doing that and teaching those skill sets and leadership skills as a high school teacher, I used to try to do that as well. Just the ability for them to be able to do that for other people is just amazing. I, I love that. I love talking to young entrepreneurs because you can see the fire in their eyes. You can feel <laughs> it. And I get excited again about what we're doing. It's so true, but I also have to kind of reveal something to you too. You know, So I'm an executive coach by training and development. So I work one-on-one with CEOs. But I got to tell you, I learn so much about my own failings and limitations as a leader every time I get to coach a CEO and every time I get to interview another founding CEO on from founder to CEO podcast, because I just interviewed Nathan Chan from founder magazine and you know, he's 28 years old and just listening to the wisdom and the insight that he has about growth. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. And I I think just we've only done 12 podcasts here. But I think what I've gotten so far is not only some great tips and books to read. And the biggest thing that I've got is like, hey, you know, it's going to be okay, you're going to make it through this. And we, you know, it's not easy. It's the hardest thing that you've ever done. And I think that to me was real, you know, that's why I think I'll always do podcasts just for that if I'm the only one that listens. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll have more than one person listen. I suspect it's going to be more popular than that, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, you learn from everybody, right? So Todd, tell us, take us through what we like to do. And I, you know, I've always read um, books that really talk about always planning for that next best thing. And I'm not talking necessarily, you know, what we're going to do tomorrow to make things better, but what do you see? What, what does founder to CEO look like for you in 10 years? Yeah, I appreciate the question. It's something we continue to take a look at, but also try to stay open to the influences of the marketplace. But, you know, I I get these phone calls all the time and it goes something like this. Hey, Todd, you know, I'm the CEO of XYZ. Someone told me I need help with my team. Can you tell me that really one good resource that will help me get some great team leadership advice real fast? And I say, okay, well, I can give you a book. I can give you that. And um, and it's kind of this, you know, just-in-time uh, development of being a leader, but also just in time resources. And so what we see in the future is we're building a platform within a community of people that over the course of time, will have this great community and this great library of resources. And when someone calls and says, Hey, you know, I really, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, we can shorten the time it takes for them to develop their, not only their knowledge in that area, but their personal capacity to deal with it. Yeah. And that's really what the future. And so way beyond that, Brian, I want to include artificial intelligence into that. Yeah. You can talk, talk into your phone and you can say, hmm, I got a co-founder who's giving me a hard time. We're having issues in XYZ. Siri, what do you think about that? And Siri says, well, have you considered this? And have you considered that? Right? Yeah. And I think we have to be thinking about those, you know, as being in the business that we are, technology is moving at a blazing speed. So that, that to me sounds something that every CEO in the country would use. I, I hope so. And we're heading that way. We feel so fortunate that 
so many people are coming to our, our podcast and our platform and we've had 20,000 downloads in just less than six months. And I've been surprised by that because, you know, Brian, in reality, this is a real niche. You know, we only really are kind of working on helping what some would call stage two um, entrepreneurs. You know, you have some traction, now you're dealing with leadership issues. Yep. So we've been surprised. That's good. I think it's amazing. I mean, you never know, but it's definitely a niche. But I think the things that you're teaching are common. And I think they're also common for people that wish they would have done that or wish they would have had that knowledge. Because what we find, and, and we don't do the training that you do, but when we're in businesses to try to help them with their marketing, it seems like people, uh, leadership issues are, are all over. They're doing, still they're doing things 10, 15, 20 years later that a CEO should never be doing. Yes. I mean, I was working with one the other day and he was in the break room replastering the, uh, the walls. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like and I, yeah, yeah. I said to him, what, what are you doing? Just, well, we don't have the budget to have someone else do this. And I said, really, is your time really, um, that valuable that you're going to be spending it on, on, you know, doing, fixing the walls in your break room? I mean, you pay somebody 15 bucks an hour to do right. it. Yeah, right. <laughs> really? <laughs> So why we called it Business Machine, Todd, is that what we're really trying to do, I think, all of us as founders or CEOs, that it, to get to the end is what we're trying to do is find little pieces um, of our machine, which is our business, that will run pieces of that machine themselves. So that eventually, 10, 20 years down the road, that that machine is running very well. And I consider pieces of that machine some of my people, maybe some equipment, maybe some really good clients. So... If you're not there or when it's time for you to move on and do exactly what you're trying to teach, what have you done today to make sure that that business keeps going and can run like a fine-tuned machine? Yeah, thank you for asking the question. So that's the old you practice what you preach type thing, right, Frank? <laughs> we had to do that with our own website. Here we have a web developer uh, one room down from me who's on staff and we, we had to do a lot of changes to our own website. So I get it. Yeah, well, I... Well, first of all, we have our, our, our original business, which is Baker and the Ball, which is a traditional executive coaching firm in, in greater Cincinnati. And so we've been running that for a while. But these new endeavors, like from founder to CEO, we have built a small team of people around us and, and contractors that has really been helping us out. We've got an uh, organization in Alabama that helps us out. We use a lot of tools like Infusionsoft and Edgar yeah. and, and a lot of those types of tools to try and make sure that... I'm not getting overly involved, which I, which I can do, you know, sure, it's, easy. Just like, it's easy to do. Right. And, uh, but you know, we're also trying to get that to be a self-sustaining business. And so we're unfortunate that we have our first sponsor for our podcast, uh, Recruiter Box. So that's helping us, you know, and now we're able to say, okay, we're, we're making some money. Now what are we going to do with that revenue to, to your point, try and make, uh, me not so integral in the day-to-day -day operations of from founding to CEO. Good. I love that. And that's what we're all trying to do. So that's perfect. Thanks for that answer. What do you think, and the reason why I have mistakes in here, and a lot of people, I wanted to name the show like Big Giant Mistakes, but no, <laughs> no one in our uh, networking groups allowed me to do that. But when I told people like, hey, when I'm done here at Michigan Creative, I'm going to write a book. Um, uh, I'm not going to write a book about all our successes. I'm going to write a book about all our mistakes. And everybody that I tell that to are like, oh my gosh, I'd read that book. But then I started to think, well, if I can write a book about that thick about our mistakes. <laughs> that must mean we really messed up. But I thought, what if I asked other people this and, and what were what we could learn from those things and not huge mistakes. But so what do you think, you know, either with founder to CEO or, or maybe your executive coaching, what was one of the mistakes that you guys made early on and something to tell somebody, yeah, you know what, don't do this when you're starting a company. 
Yeah, I, oh gosh, I mean, I make still make so many mistakes. Yeah, I do too. I, um, I, you know, one that is very prominent in my mind is when I started realizing the difference between marketing and sales. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds silly and trite to someone like you, perhaps, when you're so knowledgeable about both those areas. But I remember years ago, I, I invested in a $10,000 sponsorship of a segment of our local business newspaper. All right. And I thought, well, shoot, I'm spending $10,000 on a... The money's just going to flow in. Yeah, I'm going to get tons of leads, $10,000 investment, we'll make, you know, $100,000. Easy. Overnight. (laughs) Right, right. So, um, yeah, uh, nothing came of it. Um, (laughs) So, I, I just really felt so... I mean, first of all, I felt so bad because I spent our valuable money. Yeah, right. But I also really did some soul searching and I... And I think I had this unspoken, unconscious thought that marketing um, and sales were the same thing. And they're, obviously they're not. And it didn't do anything. And I think you also, I learned, it really has to be much more strategic. You know, everyone talks about sales funnels now, yep. which, is, which is great. And, and I've learned a lot about sales funnels over the years too. Um, but I didn't really quite fully grasp all that back then. So I would say that was probably one of my biggest mistakes, that $10,000 know nothing investment. <laughs> and that's, I mean, we've done similar things. And I, one of the, our, one of our business coaches here, you know, I, I was telling him, well, well, we've got, you know, we've got the best Facebook traffic uh, of any marketing company in town. We've got the most Twitter followers and we've got the most Instagram. And he's like, well, that's great. But what are you doing with it? Right. And if you, where are they going? Where are those people going? Is there a, is there a funnel for them? And, and what is your plan and strategic sales plan? And I'm like, um, you know, so we didn't have anything. So that was real eye opening for me. What was something that you tried that seemed like a really good idea besides that that ad in the newspaper that you're like, hey, you know what? This is gonna work, let's do this, this is gonna be awesome. But then at the end you're like, Yeah, it didn't really work out. And how'd you handle that? Yeah. Um so this is it didn't work out or it did work out? No, it didn't. It didn't. Okay. Well, that's a great, that's a good question. I thought it was going to work and it didn't work out. Well, I tell you, you know, so we, I've been very much kind of entrenched in kind of greater Cincinnati for our traditional executive coaching business before we launched from founder to CEO. And I think probably one of the big things that I realized is, you know, I, the, the idea of networking is very important. Mm-hmm. And I thought that if I was just networking everywhere and anywhere yep. that it would produce results. And what I learned over the course of time was, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to be extremely laser focused on being in front of the right people at the right time. Yeah, I like that a lot. And also, when you do network, it's not just going there and hanging out. You know, networking. If you show up at the chamber mixer and you're net, and that you call that networking, that's not really going to work. Yeah, especially if you pass out one business card. Ooh, I made a connection tonight, right? <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, Todd, you have to work on as a business owner? What's your biggest fault? And, and how do you, and if it's like me, I'm working on multiple ones at the same time daily, but what are some things that you have to work on, you think, personally? Yeah, it's a long list. Yeah, it's a long list. My wife has a real long one. Oh, yeah. My, yeah. Oh, yeah. My, we, we won't get into that. We won't get into that right now. Um, I, I tell you what, what, what um, I know that I need to learn both in my mindset, um, but also... Um, in a practical perspective, is being comfortable with letting other people take care of the technical pieces of things. Yep. So what I mean by that is, for example, you know, I'll get used to doing something, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm the only one could, that could do it that way. 
And I hear this also from other um, founder CEOs. And for me, it's particularly the technical pieces because I spend so much time and energy to learn something um, so that I know how to talk the language. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to make that, that quicker handoff to someone else with responsibility for taking care of those technical items. And I think that's hard too. And it's not, for me, it's not so much letting go of control. I'm pretty good about letting go of control. One yeah. of the things that I have to get over is spending the time to teach somebody the way to do it seems like a big task for me. I'm good at teaching. I taught for 15 years so I can do it, but it just seems like, oh man, I'll just do it myself. But I find that when I teach somebody else how to do it the right way, you know, by the time that 10, 15, that hour lesson is over, they're off and running on their own and they're able to do it, not just that time, but every time I need something done there that way forward. And so I've really tried to, as busy as we are sometimes, just stop and say, all right, I'm going to teach this person how to do my show notes and they're going to do it for me. And he's just finished one before I got on the podcast and it's two pages long. I probably would have wrote a paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I think, you know, we all have one of those things I have found that um, is more difficult for us to give up than other things. Yeah. And for me, it's the technical piece. It sounds like for you, you have your own areas. And I heard this a lot from other founder CEOs in my podcast. And I do think it's important, but you know, there's, there's this, what I, have, what I have seen and what I help my clients with is this idea of there's, there are degrees of delegation, right? There are degrees of this. Um, and you have to get comfortable with taking the baby steps and not necessarily worrying about wholesale big steps, unless you know, you get huge traction and your company's growing super fast. Yeah. Right. Then you have the cash to be able to invest in contractors, full-time employees, et cetera. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I think a lot of startups like us and small businesses, if we, you know, I always say if we had more cash to hire just a couple more people, we'd be all set, but we're not there yet. So, yeah. Yep. (laughs) That's always fun. That's (laughs) the quandary, isn't it? (laughs) It is, man. God, if I could just buy a couple people and say, here's lots of money and, and this is a great place to work. I mean, we just need two or three more and we'd be good to go, but we're close. We're close. Good. <laughs> so work-life balance, I, you know, I, I hate that term. I'm trying to come up with a better one. Um, but you, you know, you get what I'm saying as far as work-life balance. But, you know, if we really like what we do um, and we do it well, um, I think our life and work are, are one in the so, You know, we like what we do. We're here and it's all part of everything together. But um, how do you separate the two and how do you make sure that you don't get burnout at running your own company? Yeah, and um, this is a challenge for me too because I love helping other people. Yeah, so someone raises their hand, "Hey, can you help me?" I'm like, "Oh, good, let's talk right now." Yeah. Um, I uh, one of the things that I, I I purposely did was I invested in making sure that we have an offsite office as early as possible hmm. um, because when I find that the day is starting to end and we enter into family time, I have two children. Yeah. Um, I'm able to say, "Hey, you know what? Let's eat dinner. Let's do our things together," and then. I'll hop down to my office, which is not too far from where I live, so that I can make sure that I'm kind of cordoning off work time away from the physical place that I live and spend time with my family. Yeah, that would be really hard, I think, if you, you know, working on it. And a lot of people can do it successfully, but I think it's easy, too, also for us today, technology-wise, is you know we have a smartphone, which basically our clients, at least a lot of our clients, have my direct phone number, email, obviously, and so really we could be working on behalf of our clients 24 seven. Absolutely. And I think many of us do. Yeah, um, we do. Yeah, <laughs> we do. But I, uh, you know, I, I do think creating some of those 
boundary lines as much as you possibly can. And we know it sounds difficult, particularly if you have kids. You have two kids, right, Brian? I have four kids, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, you've got to create some boundary lines. I know a couple weeks ago, um, my daughter had her soccer game, and she said to me when we were driving to the soccer game, he says, oh, you're, you're staying for the soccer game, right? I said, yes, I am. Yeah, why would and, I? <laughs> right, and, and she says, okay, and, and you're going to watch too, right? I said, oh, no. of course I'm going to watch, right? She says, well, are you going to bring your phone? Oh. And I said, oh, okay, I'll leave my phone in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been doing that. I tell you, Todd, one of the things that I've been doing that's been really helpful is that I've just been leaving my phone in places, which example would be the car. And uh, we had a football game the other night. I did that same thing because I know I would just check it just for fun to see if anybody emailed. And I don't check it first thing in the morning. I wait till I get to work. And so that, those are some little things that have really helped, I think. I, 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 I love that. I try to practice that myself too. Mm-hmm. Not always good at it, but I'm getting better, I think. And I think it's really about trying to establish some of those physical as as well as mindset boundaries, I right? Like yeah. So they're both. That's right. They're, they're both. both. Yeah. yeah. All right. So employees, we've talked about this, our biggest asset and, and most of the time our biggest expense. I know for us, our biggest expense right now. How do you make sure that you get the right ones? And then how do you make sure that even though we're a fun company and this is new and we're a startup, how do you make sure you keep them happy besides just good pay? Yeah. So I have a philosophy about this is my one of my favorite topics because hiring is so key, right? Uh-huh. I mean, and, and bringing together, together a team is so key. I, I kind of subscribe to the 30, 30, 30, 10 rule. Is that 130, 30, 30, 10? Yeah. 30, 30, 30, 10. Um, 30% make sure you do great behavioral based interviewing, right? So you want to focus on what their behavior is going to look like. 30% investigate their past because someone's past behaviors are an indicator of their future behaviors. Sure. Um, and 30% use a, a quality, valid, and reliable assessment tool. There are many of them out there that can predict someone's success in a certain role. Hmm. And then 10% cultural fit. And you take that 30, 30, 30, 10 mix and you add in a 90, maybe 100 day, maybe 180 day um, period of time where you are no, you're not committing to them for the long term. I got it. To see how all those actually work in play. Because there's some of yes. that. Because on paper, they could be great, even if you do all that. But then you really got to see them in day-to-day operation, correct? Absolutely. And, and the 10 piece, the 10% piece is about cultural fit. And there are some tools and exercises that you can do with someone before you hire them to determine whether or not they're a good cultural fit with your organization. But I think also until they're in your organization, it's like chemistry, right? Yeah. Or another element inside two other um, uh, chemicals and you're going to get a different reaction. So I think giving that time, I think that helps you to make sure you're going to get the right people on your team. Is it foolproof? No. But where I find people fall down with this, Brian, and, and I have in the past too, which is why I really focused on getting better at it, is the consistency of making that a consistent process of using those elements. When we start interjecting things like, well, I'm just going to go with my gut, yeah. or you know, I'm not going to use the same interview questions that I did for the previous person that we used for this person, or I'm going to skip this thing, or they don't need to take that assessment because I, I know they're going to be a good fit. Yeah, I really start, like them. I can. I really them. like them. Yep, yeah, yeah. yep. When we start doing that, when we start taking out some of the pieces of that puzzle, that's when we put ourselves at risk for hiring someone that may not be a good fit. And and I think about half of the business owners that I've interviewed have said similar things, but I, I think more than half, and I'm not sure I agree with this too, especially after hearing your 30, 30, 30, 10, 
is a big thing for them was to see if they fit with the culture and, and maybe even overwhelmingly so like 60 40 where, where culture is the 60 and 40 is the rest i'm not sure i agree with that and and why would you why do you put i'm not saying you you don't value the culture but why is that something that's only 10 for you when you're interviewing because i think you uncover cultural elements that will impact the culture by focusing on those other silos per se. I gotcha. Because it'll all come out in the wash. But what I'm saying about 10% culture, I'm not suggesting that 10% is is the the 10%. It's only 10% important. What I'm suggesting is, is that there are other elements, things that you need to do to uncover who this person is. I gotcha. That makes sense. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because if we just look like, hey, they're great, they're awesome, I think they'd be a lot of fun, and I can tr- I can train them how to shoot video or edit or anything like that, but then they don't like talking to anybody um, and sit in the corner all day. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> not a very good cultural fit. <laughs> no, and, and I think one of the other things that we we forget to do is we often are, we are, we spend more time looking at someone's resume, that other thirty percent background investigation, yeah. and we outsize way that if it, the, if the resume says something like. Google, Ford, wherever, and we get excited about someone's past experiences more than 30%, and we forget that an equally important thing is undering one of the underlying attitudinal motivators mm. that propel this person every day, mm-hmm. right? They need because everybody needs some. Some people need, hey, nice job every day. Some people don't. Some people, right? Don't, yeah. And that's a cultural issue too, because what if in your culture you don't have a very pra- you're not praising people all the time, and this person has attitudinal motivators of of needing praise on a regular basis? Yeah, well, they're not going to be a good cultural fit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right. And I need to do that more anyway. Now somebody can come over here and tell me that I'm doing a good job. <laughs> no one does that though. Yeah, but, no one does. <laughs> all right, so a lot easier questions now too. This is sort of the fun section, except for the last one, but um, it is fun, but it's a little deeper, but. Tell us a little bit about Cincinnati and what's your favorite place to eat or drink in your area? Oh, Cincinnati. Oh gosh, there's got to be. I've been oh. there. There's hundreds. But if you, if somebody, if I was coming there tomorrow, you'd say, hey, man, don't make sure you don't miss this. This is where you should go to dinner. You know, I, I say it all the time. People think I'm part of the Chamber of Commerce for Cincinnati because I'm not from here, but I've fallen in love with this awesome city and the yeah, people here. That hurts. Yeah, it's just great. It's, it's just amazing. And we're kind of experiencing a little bit of a mini renaissance too. Our yeah. downtown is flourishing, but I got to tell you, there's a place in one of the suburbs, not too far from where I live that I absolutely love. And it's called wildflower cafe. Oh. And the reason why I like it is because they source all their food locally and fresh from throughout Mostly Ohio, although I think they also bring in some stuff from Indiana and maybe some Kentucky. And it's just in this old house that's kind of renovated that reminds me of my grandmother's house. But the food is just so amazing because it's sourced locally and organic, and I just, I just love it. Huh. See, this is the part that I hate, too, because now I have to go eat something. Now <laughs> Every time, the question gets me. Exactly. <laughs> Well, as a high school teacher, I was that cheesy guy um, that passed out favorite quotes. I do that to my guys I teach right now, adults. I love quotes. I think they're awesome. But Todd, what is your favorite quote or what's a quote you like? Yeah, I have so many favorites. So I'm going to quote one that's kind of been running through my mind lately. It's by uh, Coach Dale Brown. Um, The best potential of me is we. And I love that too. I just love it. In fact, I heard him being interviewed, uh, Darren Hardy, 
interviewed him um, from Success Magazine recently, and I heard him saying that. I think he's 80, 81 years old now, something like that. And I just love that quote because it's so simple, and it cuts through the intersection of us and others in such a powerful way. Yeah, and you know it's that whole team philosophy too, and and that's one of the things that we want to that I got worried about. I think about a month ago or a couple weeks ago that you know we're so busy right now and we're all heads down working that sometimes we forget about you know what is Michigan Creative and who are we together and and who are we as a team and what's that mean? And I think to me that's everything or that's a big part of our business. And I think to always remember that I think is important. You remember a couple weeks ago I said to you I love that you guys called yourself Michigan Creative because I truly believe that no business can be successful unless they have an anchor in their town or region or state or whatever and they have this sense of who they are in their region before the sense of who they are throughout the world. And I, I love Michigan. I told you a couple weeks ago I go there back and forth a lot and I just love that you, that you do that because I think it provides a great anchor to who you can be from many more outside of Michigan but everyone knows, hey, we're, we're a Michigan organization. Yeah, and I and I think that's why we started because I, I love our state. I you know I um, grew up here. Uh, my kids are all you know obviously all here. We just love everything about it. And I thought that that's got to be the name of the business. So we believe it, and everybody else here believes it. We have people that you know probably would have moved away from Michigan that are now still here because they're working for us. And I I think that's awesome. Lots but I will tell. You, but I will tell you, I, I don't say stuff like that when I go to Columbus and I'm on campus at Ohio State. Just so you know, right? I, yeah, we can talk about that off. <laughs> it's a long discussion, but it's an right. interesting game. Um, I was just at the Air Force uh, Michigan State game. That was fun. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's cool. Beautiful day. Business books. There's probably a hundred we should read. I've read several or halfway through several. What is one that you would recommend to somebody that they must read? You know, um, I just. I'm an Amazonaholic and I'm, I read like maybe four or five books a week nice. and I'm just, so there's so many, but for some reason, this one always, I come back, I always come back to this one. It's called business as a calling hmm. by no uh, the guy's name is last name is Novak. And the reason why I like it is I, it gets to the heart of what Simon Sinek is talking a lot about nowadays with his book about you know, getting to the why, but I truly believe, you know, there's this magic mix and one of the, one of the elements that, Novak talks about and business as a calling is kind of that moral element. You know, are you actually doing things that are going to have a positive impact on other people? Mm-hmm. And so I read that book a long time ago when I was in grad school and it still stays with me. Business as a calling. I think all your listeners will really enjoy reading it. Well, business as a calling. And you guys can look that up too. Those who are listening. Um, if you just type in Todd in the show notes, you'll be able to see all, uh, everything that Todd talks about on here and his list of awesome things. So I'll have to read that. I'll, I'm going to Amazon that up. My wife, my wife and I are both Amazon freaks and I think we get a new package from Amazon every day. So soon you'll have your own drone. (laughs) Yeah, I want one. (laughs) If you could meet and have dinner with any business owner, Todd, who would it be and why? Yeah. You know, um, my business hero uh, recently passed away. His name was Roger Berkman. Mm -hmm. And um, I never got a chance to have dinner with him. Um, but I did get a chance to speak with him for a little bit on a couple different occasions. He's just an amazing man. He was a World War II bomber pilot. Um, and then he came back and created this great tool called the Berkman Method that's just a phenomenal tool that we use with our practice with our, with our, our clients. And it really helps to uncover those underlying motivators and also behaviors of someone. And he's just, you know, he was, he's a, a bomber pilot. He's an entrepreneur, a psychologist, 
a father, a grandfather, and he just passed away a couple years ago. And I'd, I would have loved to have an extended dinner with him to learn more about his why behind his what and his ideas because he's just a very inspirational person. Yeah, and those that generation too, we're slowly, you know, we're slowly losing just about yes. everybody from that, and and it's just you know there's been a, just a wealth of knowledge, not only in business but just things that they've done and seen, and and you know that generation is slowly starting to fade away. Yeah, it's 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 sad. I, although, like I said, I got a chance to talk to him a couple times, got some good insights, but an extended dinner at Wildflower Cafe in yeah. Cincinnati. Would have been great. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> technology is everything for you and I. I know that. It's for a lot of our clients and also business owners. But what technology, app, and software could you, Todd, not live without? Gosh, you know, not live without. You know, my phone is so full of them, so it's really hard for me to, to pick just one. But I think I'll just pick one, um, and it's Wonderlist. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Wonderlist because... Um, you know, as a, as a as a business owner myself, you always remember some things that you need to need to do. But I like because it's better than having a paper list because it syncs on all my devices. Uh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm you know if I'm heading to my daughter's soccer game and can make a I list. Said, I can make a list of, uh, before I get out of the car and leave my phone in the car because you can't take it to the soccer game anymore. Exactly. We're, and we're gonna call her and check on that. <laughs> And then when I go to my laptop on my MacBook, you know, that it's going to be synced. So I I like Wonderlist. Cool. How do we best get in touch with you? Somebody's like, boy, I really want to talk to that guy. I need to hire founder to CEO. I need Todd to get in here tomorrow because they're hearing this across the whole country right now. You know, I'm Todd. the world. I know. It's hearing this. Even external to the world, we're broadcasting signals, right? right. It's just in the air. (laughs) <laughs> so i'm so unaccessible you know i'm no i'm yeah. just kidding um you can you can email me todd from founder ceo.com i'm pretty active on linkedin um my twitter handle is from founder the number two ceo because of course it was too long for that handle um so those are great ways to get to get in touch with me and, and i'm happy to help anyone who wants to reach out and say hi and uh get some get some ideas to help them improve their their leadership ability awesome and i you know i just uh i i can attest to that too i mean todd and i didn't know each other until we joined a a similar group and he he's been just a great resource and a a listening ear too so he's definitely available to you and i just typed in founder two and i put the letter c and then you google popped up right there so hey look at that good seo (laughs) (laughs) last question todd it's a big one but what do you think or hope your legacy will be? I hope my kids have the opportunity to have a positive impact on the world. My gift to the world will be my two kids. And I'm working really hard to make sure that they're a positive contributor to the world. That just gave me chills. I love that. I mean it. They're, they're my everything. I'm sure your kids are your why too. Yes, sir. Um, but I just feel the overwhelming responsibility to make sure they're net contributor rather than a net consumer and i hope and pray for that every day good i like that net net contributor that'd be a great t-shirt to give my kids (laughs) (laughs) well todd thank you very much for being part of the business machine and being a friend here at michigan creative Uh, we we just can't say enough nice things and about you and just keep doing what you're doing there in cincinnati and and uh, we'll come down and see you and go to lunch there and or dinner at your grandma's like kitchen there. I love it, Brian. You guys are doing awesome work too. love what you're doing. And as you know, I'm a big fan of your focus on making sure also that all those people out there in the world who are focused on the trades and, and building businesses. Um, I, I just love your attitude and the way you're, you're approaching that too. So keep cool. up the great work. Well, thanks Todd. That's Todd 
Uderstadt from founder to CEO in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks very much for listening to Business Machine or learning from our mistakes. And we'll catch you on our next episode of The Business Machine.